There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused. Everyone has dealt with some kind of illness in their life. Whether it's us or someone we love dealing with the illness, it's always a tough time. Thankfully, friends and family usually gather to support us in our time of need. They might bring us flowers or cards and wish us well. It can really help us stay positive and give us a reason to fight the disease and get better if we can. But what about illnesses that other people can't see? What if you knew you were sick with a terminal illness, but no one could tell by looking at you? No one rallied around you to help you get better. No one would even acknowledge that you were sick. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And uh, if you're a loyal listener, you may have noticed that we had an episode up on Thursday this week, and then on Friday it disappeared. Um, as we said in that, it was a listener request, and it had never been covered by, by the media before. And we were being contacted by a group of supporters for the victim that uh, we were discussing it with, and um, we thought everyone was on board with it. But once we released the episode, some of the family of the victim reached out to us and informed us that a lot of the facts of the victim's early life uh, were not true, and they didn't want the victim's name out there in the first place. So um, the family of the victim is the most important to us, and we absolutely don't want to cause any more pain than they've already experienced. So when we found these things out, we decided to take down the episode, and... uh, we're sorry to anyone that we've disappointed by taking the episode down, and especially to those who we upset by having the episode up. It's a highly emotional situation and can be hard for survivors of victims to all be on the same page. So mm-hmm. uh, hang in there and we'll, we'll take this as a lesson. Yes. To, yeah. I was going to say, we definitely learned our lesson about fact-checking. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to have a quick summary and keep it anonymous of the case that we covered. And then we'll share the information that we were able to learn from the case we talked about. We should also mention that Rosie woke up with a sore throat this morning. (laughs) And I have a really stuffy nose, so we're both sick and both sound like crap, probably. I woke up with a sore throat, and I'm super whiny about it because I hate being sick. Yeah. (laughs) The case involved a young girl who had died while another person was present. That person had been very abusive to her. She would show up to work with bruises all the time. And the friends of the couple wouldn't allow him into their homes. It was ruled a suicide, but some of her friends are suspicious of her abuser. As we've discussed on this show before with Terrell Peterson and Liam Fee, the step from domestic abuser to murderer isn't that great of a leap. I personally believe anyone who's capable of beating on another person outside of an organized game is capable of murder. Even if the murder is accidental due to continued abuse, It still makes a person a murderer. Well, back to the story. A lot of the victim's family are sure that she took her own life. She had apparently been suicidal for several years before the incident and would talk about killing herself often. 
Yeah, my personal thoughts on it, or even if the person took her own life, the nurture aspect of her life as an abuse victim could have played a huge role in pushing her over the edge. When we talk about nature and nurture, being suicidal can be your nature due to the way your brain is wired. But if your life circumstances are loving and nurturing for survival, then you can overcome the urges. But if your life situation is miserable, it's nurturing a lack of hope and helping you forget your reason for living. It makes it much easier to give in to your inborn desire to take your life away. Now, to people who don't struggle with these feelings, it can be so hard to understand what's going through the victim's mind. It's easy for us to say, just leave the person. It makes sense to us. If this person is making your life so miserable and you're feeling like you can't go on anymore, why wouldn't you just leave? But it's a lot more complicated than that. And we're not licensed or qualified in any way, but Rosie did go to college for human services and focused on psychology, and she's also done a lot of research about domestic abuse. So, Rosie, do you want to talk about why victims return to their abusers, even if they're miserable there? Of course. So, domestic abuse is about power and control, and one of the ways the abuser maintains their power in a relationship is by being manipulative. Usually after a violent or verbal attack, there is a quote-unquote honeymoon period. The abuser will apologize. Most likely they'll promise never to do anything like that again. Sometimes they'll change completely into this perfect partner, and this will be for a period of time to win you back. Really, though, this is how the abuser will keep the victim ensnared in their relationship. After a period of time um, of the abuser pretending to be this perfect mate, the victim could start to question if the abuse is really that bad. During the honeymoon period, the victim may start to feel like the abuse is their own fault. If only they could fix themselves and do things right, then their partner could always be this perfect person. Control for the abuser is key to holding their victim. Control is required to break down the victim's self-worth and self-esteem. Gaslighting can make a person question their own thoughts or understanding of reality. By using psychological manipulation, the abuser twists your thinking, making it distorted. It makes the person doubt in themselves and their memories, making them think that their perception is off. This is an extremely effective form of abuse. Yeah, uh... An abusive partner knows that if they keep you second-guessing yourself, you're less likely to feel empowered to start the process of leaving. And, I mean, we all know that you could convince someone to believe anything if you try hard enough. Like, when we access our memories, they kind of reform every time you access them. And I think when, when we did that episode with Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss, she said, I could get you to admit to murder if if uh, we talked long enough because when you're subjected to that constant um, flow of someone telling you that you're remembering things wrong and especially when they're they have all the power in the relationship it makes it easy for you to start to believe it yourself so Rosie you want to talk about the different forms of this gaslighting you're talking about yeah so gaslighting like I said before can really make the victim um, second-guess their own thoughts and their own understanding of reality. And one of these forms of gaslighting is withholding. The abusive partner pretends not to understand or refuses to listen, 
For example, they'll say, I don't want to hear this again, or you're just trying to confuse me. Another example of gaslighting is countering. It's when the abusive partner questions the victim's memory of events, even when the victim remembers them accurately. So the abuser will say, you're wrong. You never remember things correctly. And this is repetitive, so it's over and over again. Blocking and diverting is the next form of gaslighting. It's when the abusive partner changes the subject and or questions the victim's thoughts. For example, they'll say, is that another crazy idea that you got from your friend or family member? Or you're imagining things. Trivializing is when the abusive partner makes the victim's needs or feelings seem unimportant. For example, they'll say, you're going to get angry over a little thing like that, or you're being too sensitive. The final um, aspect of gaslighting that I'm going to talk about is forgetting or just plain denial. It's when an abusive partner pretends to have forgotten what actually occurred or denies things like promises that they made to the victim. They'll say, I don't know what you're talking about, or you're making stuff up. With all this manipulation, it's easy to see how the victim can find it so hard to leave. Some feel like leaving isn't even an option. Many feel they don't have a choice because they're too tied down to the abuser due to finances, housing, disability, or they're just too in love. Yeah, so um, as outsiders, if we see our family or people we love dealing with this, um, we really want to be able to help them and we want to be able to do what we can but i mean of course we know that no one can control another person no one can get another person to um to do anything you know everyone needs to make their own decisions but there are ways that we can help um so rosie uh, what what do we do if a loved one is in an abusive relationship Well, like you said before, if you do force a friend or a family member to leave, they're 10 times more likely just to go right back to their abuser. Hmm. And although it might be really difficult to know what to say to a friend in need, a subtle approach would be by saying, I notice that your partner says mean things to you and doesn't let you go out as much or puts you down in front of other people, etc. I'm concerned about that. Is there anything you want to talk about? Make sure that there's no judgment in your voice. Respect your friend if they're unwilling to talk about it. Let them know that you are there for them and that they can come to you in the future. The friend may stick up and defend the abuser, might be ashamed of the abuse and that it's so obvious. They might be ashamed of going back to the same partner and they don't want to admit that things aren't okay. But try your hardest not to tell the abused friend what they should do. Yeah. Um, this is one of my pet peeves is the phrase you should insert anything here. Um, when people tell you, you should do something, it makes you, I mean, we're all naturally defiant to that because we want to make our own decisions and have our own agency. So, uh, we don't want to tell the person, especially when they're suffering with low self-esteem already to tell them you should do this better or you You know, you get the point. (laughs) Remember that you are not the one being abused. You're healthy and you have a good standpoint on the situation. They do not. The abuser has the control and the abused often feel little or no control in their own lives. They're dependent on their abuser in multiple ways. In an abusive relationship, 
The abuser is constantly taking away the other person's right to make their own choices and have their own thoughts and feelings. It's best rather than telling the abused what a healthy relationship is, just to model it by showing healthy behaviors for your friend. Show them that you believe they are the best person to make the decision that feels right to them. Put some power back in their hands. Yeah, and like you said before, if a person doesn't leave on their own terms when they're ready, they're a lot more likely to return to the abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what about secondary trauma? Well, secondary trauma occurs to a helping friend. Um, when supporting a friend who's in an abusive relationship, it can take a huge toll mentally and physically on the supporter. It's easy to feel frustrated and upset with your abused friend or family member and the decisions that they're making. When a supporter is at this point, they need to take a step back and focus on their own self-care so that your frustration doesn't impact your ability to provide empowering support to them. Yeah, just think of when you're on an airplane with the the life mask, the oxygen mask. If you have Mm -hmm. a kid, they tell you, put the mask on yourself first and then take care of your kid because there's nothing you can do to help someone if you're dying yourself. Also, taking time for yourself to recharge will help your friendship and let you be there to support the abused for the long haul. Letting yourself recharge will keep you emotionally equipped. You must be healthy to help your unhealthy friend. It's important to know that it's okay to step back from the situation when you need to. Just be sure to tell your friend that you still care and that you just need a moment to breathe. And it's also okay to have some breathing room. Know your boundaries. And lastly, remember that you cannot save or fix a person. Ultimately, it has to be their own choice to leave. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. It's really hard for people with stable life circumstances to understand how someone could possibly keep returning to someone that makes our life so miserable, like we've already discussed. We try to make sense of it and simplify it into things that we can make sense of, like it's easier to return to what we're familiar with. But it seems like there's more to it than that. A sense of duty to make things right with the person that we hold so dear. Um, It could be easy to project our own feelings onto them and idealize the relationship. Um, This is from the point of view of the person that's being abused. Um, We might believe that they love us just as much or in the same way as we love them. And this could happen in any relationship and ultimately lead us to disappointment. But it's important to try to be perceptive in a relationship and evaluate through words and actions if this person really loves you instead of saying, oh, they love me, or idealizing aspects of the relationship that just aren't there. So what can we learn uh, from what we're talking about here? Well, there's such an undervaluing of life these days on social media. People will tell other people they've never met to go kill themselves in a YouTube comment over something stupid and menial. Uh, sadly, even more shocking is when people actually do feel so low that they take their own life. And then people blame the victim and say it's so selfish to take their own lives. And I bring this up because of some responses I saw to Anthony Bourdain's suicide. Val Kilmer actually made a long Facebook post about this topic, um, stating some views that I don't agree with. Personally, I find them extremely ignorant now, but honestly, I had thought processes (laughs) like this in the past when I was young, 
and my sister had made a few attempts to end her life, but I'll talk about that in a later episode. I'm going to read some quotes from Val Kilmer's post showing just how some ignorant people view suicide and why it's so important to become educated about the actual mental illness and how it's not just a choice to remove yourself. He wrote, Oh, the dark, thick pain of loss, the selfishness. From every corner of the world, you were loved, so selfish. You've given us cause to be so angry. A spiritual guide once told me suicide is the most selfish act a human can execute, and I was confused, but she explained there's just no mental place further away from humanity and purpose than the hypnotized numbness that creates the false picture of despair that forces the victim, unaware, to believe life's legacy is over. There, There is no more service, no more task, no more love left to give to another Nothing to heal. Now, these words make sense on a surface level, but the problem is suicidal tendencies go way deeper than just a choice to take your life. Yeah, it freaking sucks when a loved one feels like they need to take their own life, and the people affected by it are victims of the suicidal person's actions. But the suicidal person is a victim of their own brain chemistry. Um, He continues, So what? I hear you took your life in Paris. What hotel? Did you relapse? Did you just get home from the best meal of your life? Did you cheat on your girl? So he's looking for fault in Anthony Bourdain's case, looking for a logical reason that Anthony would have felt he needed to end his life. But the problem is, suicide is not logical. Obviously, suicide is never in the best interests of the person doing it, But I think it's so ironic that he calls Anthony Bourdain selfish when he's the one making this tragedy about himself. Who really is the selfish one here? Uh, He goes on to reference his own experience with cancer and compare it to Anthony. Now it's understandable that he's so sensitive about people taking their own lives when he almost had his stolen from him with no choice. But it's so much deeper than a surface thing like this. Um, I appreciated a certain comment that I saw on his post of someone who actually knew what they were talking about. So, Rosie, do you want to read the um, comment that really stuck out to me? Sure, Ryan. It said, Wow, just wow. It's attitudes like this that make having this invisible illness deadly. Selfish you have no clue, then, what it's like to have this illness and be in a place so dark and desperate that you feel the world would be better off without you in it. You have an illness, you point out, but it's the one everyone rallied around and brings you flowers and wishes you well. We do not. Think for a minute if everything in the body can be affected by illness, then why is it so hard to believe the brain can't? To imply your illness is worse, is clueless and insensitive. People are continuing to die from mental health-related issues. Yet you, like many, think or imply we need to just think happy thoughts. Now, this comment is pretty much what inspired this entire episode for me, is really thinking about this and wanting to expand on it and be a voice for people that are suffering with stuff like this. 
I used to personally be guilty of this delusion that depressed people should just be happy and not be depressed. I was an ignorant teenager, and it was during an episode of The Office when it finally clicked with me. (laughs) The one where Dwight found a pill and said, This isn't for a disease of the body, but for a disease of the mind. And Nellie replied, the mind is a part of the body. But she did it with an accent like this. Like, the mind is a part of the body. Yeah, <laughs> that was spot on. <laughs> I couldn't even tell the difference. <laughs> but for some reason, that's what made it click for me. And it's that we get physical illnesses in all parts of our body. And no one disputes it if we get an unwanted tumor or some other kind of sickness that we can't control. Um, any kind of physical anomaly that we has just showed up in our body, it's something that we can't control. But when it's in our brain, for some reason, people believe we can just think away the illness. But it's just as much of a physical disease as cancer. It's a chemical imbalance. When your your brain's just not shooting off the right chemicals um, to be a happy person. The main point I'm trying to stress is that we need to be kind to people. We need to be there for others and create a place that's, you know, nurturing hope and not despair. If we know someone who is struggling with this, bring them flowers. Treat them like you would a cancer patient because it is a potentially terminal illness. And if you're suffering from your own suicidal thoughts, please tell someone. Talk to a trusted friend, and please see a professional that can help you. Like Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss says, you matter. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with these feelings, and you have no support system and no one to talk to, please reach out to us. Of course, we're not a replacement for a qualified and licensed therapist or psychologist, but we are here to listen and to give you a platform to share your voice. We are all the voice of the victim, and if we are open about our experiences and share them with each other, we hope that it might help others not feel so alone. If you enjoy our show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review if you could. And if you really love our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash vovpodcast, and we'll link it in our show notes. Also, follow us on Instagram at vovpodcast, and Twitter at VOVpod. And feel free to email us at VOVpodcast at gmail.com to share your voice. And now we're on Facebook too, so you can go follow our page there, uh, Voice of the Victim Podcast, and also join our brand new group. It's called Voice of the Victim Support System. And our goal is to create a safe place for victims and survivors to share their experiences and feelings and where we can all share our love, uh, no matter who we are. So, like we said, we are all the voice of the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode is a lot shorter than our usual ones, and again, it's because of our our accident. Well, oops-a-daisy. Our oops-a-daisy of the last one. Um, also, it's a lot calmer because we're both sick, so don't think we're just like getting super boring. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden. Um. Well, we tried. Yeah, actually, I'm glad it's a shorter episode because I don't want the point that we're trying to get across to be clouded in a bunch of rambling because um, this is important stuff to remember, especially in this modern world we're living in where 
seems like almost everyone has something wrong with their mind, some kind of uh, mental illness, <laughs> you know? So I guess the main point that we're making is to be kind to other people. Mm. I mean, even if we're in traffic and someone pisses us off, this is something I'm guilty of all the time because, I mean... It's terrible road rage. Okay. <laughs> When when someone's driving irresponsibly, they're putting your life and everyone's life that's in the car you're driving in danger. So I think it's a reasonable reason to get upset. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to work on it and try to be kind, even to the people that I don't want to be kind to. But Cool. <laughs> we got these really cool new pod cards. Did you want to talk about those at all? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, so 40 podcasts all came together and, um, we made trading cards Mm -hmm. and we're lucky enough to be part of that group. Um, Kate, who we always talk about because she's awesome and helpful to everyone, um, from ignorance was bliss. Of course, she's the one that did all the legwork. She, ordered the cards she sorted them out into decks she mailed them to all of us and she put tons of hours of work into this so we really appreciate her for that and um if you're interested in pod cards you can go check out our patreon page because there's ways you can get them with the different levels of support there even for just a dollar or you can buy them outright from us if you just dm us on um, instagram or twitter or email us at vovpodcast at gmail.com and we'll tell you how you can order them from us there and yeah it's pretty exciting it is it's an exclusive thing card looks pretty cool oh yeah and kate's daughter emily made the art on the back of the cards the knife through the headphones so that's really awesome too 40 times 12 so there's only 480 decks in the world so you can get yours it's an exclusive thing pod cards 2018 so do you have anything else to say rose no i think i'm all out of info yeah i hope you feel better next week please (laughs) (laughs) and uh thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week